Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy Church. Man, that's got me ready to like work out or something. That's, that's good. Good morning. Uh, so happy new year. Happy new decade, 2020. I was thinking about it, how I uh, graduated high school in 2000, right? So I remember us talking about in 20 years, what's life going to be like? You know, and we assumed we'd be flying to work on our jetpacks. Instead, my kids, you know, tell Alexa to make certain bodily noises and, you know, that kind of thing. So not exactly what we were hoping for. But um, hey, before, uh, let me say, before I get into the message, just a reminder to our members here at Mercy Church, it's a really, really big day for us. We have a member meeting uh, right here at our Providence Road campus. It's at 1.30. And y'all, we're going to be, um, we're going to be voting on uh, deacon and elder candidates, which is huge. We are a congregational church, so we believe when we all pray together over the same decision. The Lord works through each one of us, through his spirit residing each one of us to bring unity to where we sense the Lord leading. So today uh, we are hoping to be a big celebration and affirmation of where the Lord is leading our church with both these deacon and elder candidates. So you want to be here for that and for a few other things. All right, look, as the new year sets in, what I know is that this is a, um, a really good time for sports fans. Right? It's one of those times where you got multiple sports happening at the same time. We still got one college football game left. You know, we've got the NFL playoffs really rolling and going. And of course, it is basketball season, which as a UNC grad, that means it's college basketball season. It's in full swing, even though our heels are, are, are working hard this year. Um, but they uh, but anyways, so I grew up a UNC grad and my or UNC fan. My dad was a UNC grad. So he would take me um, over to the Dean Dome on a few occasions. And I remember, I mean, I can just remember walking in, not through the, the concourse so much, but when you actually walk in through the tunnel, Dean Dome's a pretty big college basketball arena, and you walk in there and you just feel the majesty of all that is Carolina basketball. I remember looking over at my dad and just telling him, Dad, I'm going to play here one day. <laughs> I'm going to play, right? I had dreams of crossing over some loser wearing a Duke jersey, hitting a step back three. I'm jogging back down the court. Michael Jordan's in the third row. He points to me. I try and keep cool, calm, and collected. I point back. I've just broken his scoring record. That's a big deal. That's why he's here, right? And so it's a huge moment, and I had the dream all laid out. But as I went through high school, I never really grew into that dream. Let's say it that way, right? So what happened? Like so many of the rest of us, I ended up staying in the stands and watching games, right? Most high school athletes end up that way. Only 1% of high school athletes are going to play D1 basketball, and only 1% of those are going to play professionally in any way, shape, or form. So the typical stadium, what ends up happening, typical basketball arena, it's filled as the way I've heard one person describe a, a basketball arena. It's 10 guys in desperate need of rest surrounded by 10,000 people in desperate need of exercise, right? That's what we end up, end up having. Well, sadly, for many, many Christians, this is how they view their Christian life. 
Maybe they don't, maybe it's because they don't think they're good enough at ministry. They don't have the training, the personality, or maybe they've just gotten comfortable in the stands. But when it comes to contributing to ministry, they consider it a spectator sport. Few people do the work while everybody else watches. But the reality is there's just no bleachers in the Christian life. No spots where you can sit and watch and avoid the action yourself. There's no sidelines. Ready or not, you are in the game. Like it or not, you're in the game because God did not design the Christian life. He did not design his church to be a spectator sport. We're created to be in the game, to be using the gifts that God has given us, sacrificing ourselves for the good of the team. And the time has come, I believe, for many of us to step off the sidelines and to recognize the game that we're actually already in. So over the next four weeks, what we're doing here at Mercy Church is we're going to really dig in to what it looks like for us to be in That's the name of the series that we have, this I'm in. What does it look like for us to be in? We're going to come face to face with Jesus' own words about what he calls the Christian life to really be. Y'all, we make a big deal around here. And I love this, a big deal about saying that we want to see a gospel awakening come to Charlotte. We want to be the one. We we say it all the time. We want to bring a gospel awakening to Charlotte. But what I want to push us these four weeks is making a big deal about actually bringing a gospel awakening to Charlotte. About getting off the sidelines and talking about it and actually bringing it. So, in this series called I'm In, we're going to look at how the gospel message of Jesus Christ empowers us to live a fully committed life to Christ. We're going to see some of the roots of our hesitancy to step out. We're going to see some of the costs of discipleship. And we're going to see the powerful God designed team, right, that's built for strengthening our faith that He calls the local church. The title of this series is The Action Step as well. It's a call to a gospel-rooted faith that creates this joy-filled commitment to God that responds like a player on the sideline just waiting for the coach to call their number. I'm coaching 10-year-old boys basketball right now. It's the best thing in the world. These guys are warriors. They leave nothing out. And the whole time, five of them are in. I've got nine on my team. The other four are on the sideline. Coach, can I get in? Coach, can I get in? Coach, can I get in? Right? That's basically all I'm doing in coaching. These five swapping them out. That's what I want for us. I want that feeling of, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. What's next? I want to create the opportunity here in January for you to go to God and say, I'm in. Whether you're seven, whether you're 17, whether you're 70, whether you've been following Christ for five minutes or you're an elder at our church, I want you to believe what God says about you. And that's that your greatest steps of faith. The greatest works that God has for you are not behind you, but just ahead of you. He has prepared them for you. And now is the time for you to step into them and walk in them. Cards on the table, y'all. I'm calling you to action this month because a faith that doesn't act isn't faith. We believe that. So get ready for some action steps this series. Today, we're starting in John 13. So you got your Bibles, make your way over to John 13. We're gonna be in two verses, verses 34 and 35. Primarily, this whole series will be in John 13 through 17. And which, by the way, it's just the series is going to be the month of January. So if you're new to church, all right, you're trying to figure out what church looks like for you. Let me give maybe the challenge for you is this. I want to challenge you to dive in here for one month. I'm talking be here all four Sundays, even attend this thing we're going to talk about later called Starting Point, where you learn more about the church. Listen, it usually takes a few weeks to figure out 
if a church is right for you or not. So you might as well use this time to do that because at the very least, you'll have a pretty full teaching of what it looks like to be fully committed to God. And if mercy isn't the place for you, fine, we'll help you figure out what that is. But at least you'll have something you can walk away with and you'll have a chance to say, okay, is this where I can lock in? Because Lord, I want to be in. All right, John 13, these two verses, 34 and 35, I'm gonna read them to you and we'll get after it. I give you a new command. This is Jesus to his disciples. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, these two verses that we're going to spend the most of our time in today are not isolated, of course, in the chapter. I didn't pluck them out to make a point or something. In reality, I want us to think of these almost as like the first peak in a majestic mountain range that is Jesus' teaching through the Gospel of John. These chapters, John 13 through 17, contain the longest extended like block of teaching by Jesus anywhere in the Gospels. They're this crescendo, this majestic summary of sorts of, of really all of his teaching. And these two verses are the summary of what he's taught his disciples through the entire chapter as it's recorded in John 13. You'll see that in a second. These words confront spectator Christianity. But they do so in actually a really loving, unexpected way. They go down to the root of why we stay on the sideline. Because I recognize coming in here today, some of y'all have church background. And maybe you've heard before that you should be in, right? Part of today is going to be putting words to what actually has kept us on the sidelines. When we've already heard Jesus, heard that from Scripture. It's going to be understanding our hesitations and then seeing how Jesus shows us not just another way, but a better way to think about following him. So verse 34, we're just going to go phrase by phrase. And by the way, that's a big thing for us at Mercy. We want to show you on the weekends, hopefully, how you can kind of walk through scripture during the week in your own time with the Lord. So verse 34, start with that first phrase, I give you a new command, love one another. The setting is he's sitting with his disciples and he's trying to prepare them that his time on earth is about to come to an end. He's going to go. He's going to be crucified. He's going to do that for their sins. He's going to rise from the dead. And then he's going to be with the Father in heaven. Y'all, if, if the peak of the mountain, this first mountain is John 13, 34 and 35, this is like the trailhead. It starts John 13, 1. Let me show it to you. Before the Passover festival, this is the setting. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having, look at this sentence, this beautiful little message from our writer, John. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's foreshadowing what's happening. This section opens with this allusion to where Christ's whole story is heading. And look at the word choice, love them to the end. What I want you to hear right now is that this whole mountain range of John 13 through 17, the grand overarching view, the grand overarching narrative that should take your breath away when you see it is the announcement that the God of the Bible loves you. He loves you. He loved the disciples that were sitting there with him around that table, including Judas. He loved Judas as he was betrayed by him. 
He loved Peter as Peter denied him. He loved the rest of these disciples as they abandoned him. He loved them as he was whipped and beaten. He loved them as he was stripped and brutally paraded in a death march up to Calvary. He loved them as his hands and feet were pierced with nails. He loved them as the cross was lifted up and dropped into that hole where the post went and his flesh was ripped. He loved them as he cried out in agony for the father to forgive the very people who were murdering him. And as he breathed his last breath, he loved them to the end. In love, he went to the cross, not just for them, but for you and I. We deserved to be there for our sin. In love, he hung in our place because he loved us. He didn't let us die for our sin. The sinless one took the shame of the cross, took the shame of our sin onto himself. That's the message of the gospel. God loves you. That's the mountain range. And as we talk about over the course of this series, your commitment to God, you have to first hear his commitment to you. He created you to know him, to experience that love, to find your identity, your security, your purpose based out of his love for you. And we run from that all the time. We run from it. We reject it. The Bible calls the rejection of that sin. It's choosing other things to try and find a home in. The quest inside the human heart is a quest for happiness, for peace, for purpose, for contentment. And every last one of us knows that. That's always been true of mankind. And our search for true happiness is just evidence that we were meant to find it in God. There's a French philosopher, Blaise Pascal, writing some almost 400 years ago in the 1660s. Here's what he said about this. He put some words to it that have kind of echoed through the ages because it's transcendent truth. What else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. And I'm telling you here at the outset and start of this series, that the love of God is what you were made for and that the love of God is here for you. It is offered to you and only, only in the love of God will you ever find your true rest. You cannot get in the game. You cannot say I'm in for his purpose for your life until you say I'm in for what he did for you. Every, this is what's fascinating about Christianity to me. If you're newer to Christianity, you're checking out church, trying to figure this whole thing out. Every other religion will tell you to give before you can receive. Give your time, give your talent, give your treasure, and then you will receive blessing from God. But Christianity says, no, you must receive before you can ever give. Receive what God has done for you. Rest your soul in it. Find contentment there. And then and only then give from there. 
Christian, listen, this will be harder, I think, sometimes for us, but it's just as important. Let this love of God for you pierce through any calluses that have built up through years of practicing empty religion. You got to understand the command Jesus gives in verse 34 to love others is based in the love of God for you in verse 1. Back to 34. A new command I give. I give you a new command. Love one another. What strikes me about this is that, I mean, anybody who just takes a quick second has any familiarity with the Bible will go, wait, how is that new? I mean, the Old Testament is filled with this command. Right, Leviticus 19.18, love one another. The uh, Ten Commandments are all based on love God and love others. When Jesus talks about all the commandments, he says, oh, well, they're summarized like this. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. How's this new? First, it might be better to, for you to understand this word and see this word um, as, uh, with the meaning of fresh as opposed to, the different, opposed to the meaning of new being different. In other words, Jesus is breathing fresh life and even more understanding into an existing command of God. He's not invalidating an old command. Think of it as bringing something into color that was once only seen in black and white. Now, how it's new is in the next thing he says. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The manner in which these guys sitting around the table together were to love one another was now to be based on the way Christ loved them. Catch this, not just love your neighbor as yourself. Your perspective as a follower of Christ is no longer to be, well, I should treat them the way I want to be treated. The golden rule is not actually the full Christian ethic. No, it's I must treat them the way Christ has treated me. And you got to think about what just happened for them. As he's saying this to them, their feet are probably still a little damp from where he, Jesus, their master and teacher, had just gotten down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. And y'all, foot washing is gross. <laughs> it just is. Thursday night, I had my first experience with this thing called a pedicure. Okay, um, don't knock it till you try it, guys. That's all I'm going to say. It was actually awesome, but I felt, <laughs> amen, yes, Lord. Um, I felt uh, date nights everywhere over the next couple of weeks. Um, I, but I felt awful for this technician who um, got me, you know, um, as we sat down, I was like, I explained to her, I said, listen, Courtney, who's sitting beside me, she says, I have dinosaur toes. Courtney's my wife. She says, I have dinosaur toes. And I was like, look, I know, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here apologizing. I'm like, I know um, you're a professional. I'm sure you've seen worse, but I, I'm sorry. Here, right? Just kind of. <laughs> I was ashamed of someone washing my nasty feet. But here is Jesus, their Lord and teacher, getting down voluntarily, intentionally, and washing their nasty feet. And he says to them, This is John 13, 14, and 15, leading us up the mountain. He says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Listen, in terms of the mountain of John 13, this is a big lookout because he's introducing them to the kind of love that he's going to show them in full very soon. 
In fact, the whole foot washing thing is a metaphor for this even more sacrificial others first act he's getting ready to do. Simon Peter responds to Jesus when Jesus tries to wash his feet, says, no, 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 you don't wash my feet. That's not how this works. I'll wash your feet. You don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, no, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. The washing of the feet was a metaphor for the spiritual washing Jesus would do to each sinner by cleansing their record of sin. John 15, we'll see in a couple of weeks, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down their whole life for their friends. And when Peter hears that, when Peter hears Jesus says, the only way you can have a place with me is if I wash you, he says, okay, wash me, not just my feet, my head, my hands, everything. Before you can love like Christ loved before you can wash feet you have to receive his love for you receive his washing listen right here in the middle of this sermon this first one to start this year you got to see this this is why we insist on being a gospel centered church because the gospel is not just the front door to the Christian house. You don't just walk through it, forget about it, and try and start living a moral life. That's the kind of life that exhausts people spiritually. The gospel is the whole house. And everything that you do, everything God calls you to do, every command gets its motivation. You look through it, you'll see every command gets its motivation in what Christ has done for you. Y'all, this series, I'm calling you off the sidelines. I'm calling you to commit to God and say, I'm in. It's going to come with action steps because I'd be foolish. I'd be a poor shepherd if I didn't show you how you could live out your faith in our context. But the most exhausted people I know are the ones who keep trying to do good for God without consistently abiding in what he has done for them. Look, sneak peek to John 15, the mountaintop will hit next week. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him. That's the one that produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If you don't remain, it's such a simple metaphor that a child can get it, but it takes, it goes so against the grain of our, of our selfish, self-centered, self-sufficient nature. If we don't actively consider and take hold of what Christ has done for us, we can do nothing. You can't drive without fuel. You can't bake without heat. And you can't live the Christian life apart from the gospel. You will exhaust yourself because you'll try to be loving others from your own sheer willpower. You were created to receive love and then love others from an overflow of that supply that God has given you. That's the new command. And as we humble ourselves and live for others out of his love for us, look what he says will happen in verse 35. By this, through this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. One of my favorite authors um, is a guy named Francis Schaeffer. He was a philosopher, latter half of last century. He wrote a book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century, where he talked about how, he talked about really, the whole thing was built around this very powerful teaching from Jesus. 
He said, especially as people are less and less interested in attending church services, we have to lean in and understand what he's saying in John 13, 34 and 35. I think what he had to say rings even more true now. I want to read you just a a brief bit of what he said. He said, listen, after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gave is the observable love of Christians for true Christians. In short, y'all, I can preach till I am blue in the face and you can talk to everybody you know about Jesus. But until we actually live this out for one another, until this church is a community of, of visibly, every single one of us, observably demonstrating others first sacrificial love for one another, the world can't actually be sure we really do follow Jesus. And y'all, this love, of course, it manifests itself in so many different ways, but it is most certainly a love that acts, that does. About 10 years ago, I was um, serving at our, our church that we were in a setup teardown situation. Our arrival time was 5.45 a.m. So our Independence Campus, I feel you. I've been there so many times. Uh, there was this woman who was a part of our teardown team who kept coming uh, week after week. She's, she's a member of the church and she kept bringing her husband, a guy named Gordon. Gordon served on the teardown team, <laughs> actually would not come to church, would only come to do the teardown part. I don't know if that was like he couldn't have lunch until the, I don't know what the deal was, but he would come, he would help with tear down. He wasn't a Christian. And of course, like anybody who's not a Christian is a little bit skeptical of us. But the more he was around us, the more he saw us serving one another with joy, the more he couldn't make sense of us. He was expecting judgy people, but found grace-filled, self-sacrificing people who stayed around till two in the afternoon to put kids' equipment and AV equipment into shipping containers because it's just one step we could do to help people hear the gospel. And one afternoon, after being around us for a while, he sat with somebody who explained why we do all this and gave his life to Christ during teardown. And then he finally came to church, right? Finally came to worship service. Y'all, that's how God has set this whole human experience up for people to get around genuine Christians and observe a love they've never seen before to then hear where the power, where the source for such selfless love keeps coming from. And with that, I wanna get practical for us on how we in 2020 can put this command of Christ to practice with one another here at Mercy Church. How we can make our I'm in commitment to God really meaningful. I'm gonna start by giving you a prayer that I wanna challenge us as a church to pray every single morning until the end of January, all right? So again, even if you're new with us, you can latch onto that. It's gonna be a very simple prayer. You can pray through the end of the month and then I'm gonna give us a couple of other action steps, all right? For the daily prayer, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna give you a tool that my kids taught me a few months ago to help this stick with me. I think it'll help you. I'm not normally one for kind of silly little acronyms, but this one was super helpful. They said... If you want to experience joy in following Christ, think of the word joy like this. And they use the acronym, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. 
Jesus first. Here's what that means. It means rehearse the gospel over yourself each morning. Remember what he has done for you. Remember what he has said about you, his promises to you, that he has redeemed you, that his spirit is living in you now, that you have an incredible love you didn't deserve, and you have eternity with God the Father waiting for you. Jesus first, remember him. 1 John 3.16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Maybe you need to just start with memorizing 1 John 3.16, that first half of that. This is love. He laid down his life for us. My point is, all you need for joy is found in Christ, what he has done for you, no matter what comes today. If your girlfriend dumps you, your boss fires you, your family rips apart, another appliance breaks in your home, your roommate eats the food, clearly labeled that it's yours in the fridge, right? Regardless of what it is, you can still have joy because in Christ alone, your hope is found, right? In Christ alone, he is my light, my strength, my song. Only Jesus, only Jesus. We sing this all the time and we do it for a reason. He's the center of our songs. He's the center of our sermons, of our sacraments, of our ministries and of our discipleship because he is the only thing that will satisfy when we put it first. In John 3, John the Baptist says, he, talking about Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. It's because we were designed to orbit around him not the other way around. Jesus first, others second. Spend your energy of your day looking to meet the needs of others. How can you provide for a fellow brother or sister in Christ? What can I do to serve you? Might need to be the question that you approach others with. The rest of 1 John 3, 16 uh, reads like this, and I'm gonna go all the way through to verse 18. He says, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. And then he says, we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion, isn't that fascinating? Has goods, resources, and withholds compassion. Giving of those goods is compassion. That's love from him. How does God's love reside in him? Well, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. It is a very challenging thing to put others actually ahead of yourself. Easy to talk about it, hard to really do. And if you find yourself in that space, you're like, yeah, I, I believe that. But when I take an inventory of my life, most of everything that I do, I'm still at the center of the solar system, right? That's an indicator light, not to try harder. Hear me, not to try harder but to go back and spend more time abiding in Christ's love for you. He is the vine. You are the branch. You can do nothing apart from him. The reason there's no fruit here is because you are not clinging to him. Don't try and manufacture fruit. You can't. You're a branch. Go back to the vine. Well, leads me to the last thing, yourself last. Jesus, others, Jesus, others, and yourself Tim Keller calls this idea of yourself last, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's that the secret to finding joy in this life is actually removing yourself from the center of it, replacing you with Jesus, then following Jesus into the service of the needs of others. That's not, listen, that's when you get down, you're washing other people's feet. That's not 
thinking less of yourself. We say this a lot. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Not being consumed by your own problems and issues so much. That's only possible. The reason we don't get there is because we don't trust that God will take care of us as he's promised that he will. Like when we get down to it, it's that we just struggle to trust him. We got to believe that God is actually going to look after us. And where we know that to be true is back in the gospel itself, that he has met our deepest need and secured us salvation and eternity with him. So when we rest there, we don't really have to sweat thinking about ourselves so much. That's covered. And so we can give our lives away. And this is a simple idea, but Christ says it will revolutionize our lives. Giving away your life. He says when it comes to salvation, giving away your life is the only way you will find true life. This is the same thing for how we walk each and, each and every day. Removing yourself from the center of your life is actually the only way you will find true life for yourself. So that's my challenge for you to pray each morning. I kind of worded it in a simple prayer. If you wanted to write it down, I don't, most of you won't need it, but it's two sentences. God, I desire joy in you today. So help me to see Jesus first, others second, and myself last. Right, help me to see, just let me, let me see it, Lord. Give me your vision, your sight. Jesus first, others second, myself last. Y'all, the spelling of joy is important. You can't spell it another way. A lot of Christians want to think that they do this, but in actuality, they spell joy like Y-O-J or Yaj, something. I don't know, I probably shouldn't start trying to pronounce these. But if we think I'm first, others second, and I'll talk to Jesus when I have time, that would probably be a good reflection of the way many of us actually walk through day to day. That will exhaust you. You need to be free of you, okay? You are terribly exhausting as the main focus of your life. Get off the throne for your own good. Now, my tendency is to spell joy, Y-J-O. I think about me and I think about Jesus some. And I don't really think about other people, right? Unless maybe there's some extra time. That's profoundly problematic, right? Because love is meant to be in action. Let us love not in speech, but in action, in deed, right? And I speech for a living, right? Now, that wasn't good speech, but that's what I do, right? I speak for a living. If I stay in that kind of place where all I do is talk about it and don't live it, I end up practicing a joyless Christianity, and there's nothing good for me there. Now, some of you are different, though. You're more inclined to give yourself away for the needs of others. But if you don't put Jesus first, listen to me. If you get super concerned with meeting the needs of others, but you don't put Jesus first every single day, you are going to shrivel up and die inside. Eventually, you're just going to get bitter towards the world because you'll give and you'll give. But since you aren't receiving from Christ, your tank will go empty. So the prayer it's God, I desire joy, joy in you today. Help me to see Jesus first, others second, and myself last. And then here's what we do with it. A couple of action steps to wrap us up. The first is real simple. It's believe and be baptized. Maybe you've never put Jesus first. You got to start there. Your step of saying I'm in is going to be saying I believe. Y'all, we baptize at the end of every month. And maybe that's your step. You can come talk with us 
after the service about that. But every month last year, this happened, and I believe God is bringing some of you to that decision point today. You recognize it has only been in word. It has been platitudes towards God, but you've never given him your life in a way that you said, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm in. Secondly, Jesus told them to serve one another. So I'm going to tell us, go wash some feet. One of the things I find really important in this, but often overlooked, is that Jesus didn't call the disciples. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take a spiritual gifts inventory online, wait for a role to open up in the upper room to appear, and then, then you can serve somebody. No, he called them all to a task that anyone can do. So I want to call us to the same thing. Listen, whatever it is, no matter whether you are an elder here or you have been a member for a year or you're brand new, he's calling all of us to wash feet, all of us to serve others, to love others in some way. Start in your home, right? Whether it's a spouse, children, parent, roommate, start there. Start looking for ways that you can give yourself away, not so that they will reciprocate, but give yourself away because you are receiving the love of Christ. Ask, how can I serve you? And start serving, loving others as Christ has loved you. Secondly, get on a ministry team here at Mercy. Y'all were four years old in the life of our church which usually means there's a committed core group of people and then a whole lot of people looking and wondering, is there, is there a place for me here or not? Let's change that this month. We're gonna give you the chance to join up with ministry teams over the course of the month. Yes, our ministry teams need people, but more than that, you need to serve others in the body of Christ because God calls you to it. Weekend teams here, yes, that's a good place to start. We got plenty, but the point is, you need to put your yes on the table and say, I'm going to give my life away for the sake of others. That's why we're going to tell you to get in a community group as well, because it's really hard to serve brothers and sisters if you don't know what it is they need. For many of you, that's going to be your I'm in this year. Several groups launching over the course of the month, and that's because you need some people. And we'll talk more about community and the power of it in the last two sermons in this series, but it's the context where your I'm in is going to have probably the most lasting power. Now I think about um, Friday night, Courtney and um, the kids and uh, her mom were all driving home from uh, Asheville. They're doing a little fun day trip and driving home from Asheville. They're about halfway between Asheville and Charlotte when they get two flat tires, all right? I know, just the worst. And if you know anything about halfway between Asheville and Charlotte, there is nothing, okay? <laughs> nothing exists. There's Asheville and Charlotte, right, up on Highway 16. Well, because there's six people in the car, I think, um, hey, just call AAA. Well, there's six people in the car. AAA, the tow truck, can't take them anywhere, so I got to go get them. But here's the problem. They got the van, so I can't fit them in my car. Can't fit the seven of us. So I'm scrambling when Pastor Richard says, hey, man, take my van. But it's what he said that has stuck with me over, the, over this weekend. He said, dude, what's mine is yours. And it was more that that was more than a platitude. What's mine is yours. He didn't flinch. Now, is letting me borrow a van for a few hours a life-altering sacrifice? Well, hopefully no. Right? I, I, drove, I was very good with how I drove it. But, <laughs> but what it was that got me, y'all, it was just this guy's readiness to meet a need. His readiness, his willingness, his... <laughs> 
And it's almost joy to meet a need that I had that showed me I felt in him the Christ that he also preaches to me. Y'all, that's what God is calling us to do is to look for ways that we can love one another so that the message that we proclaim to one another is not just heard, it's observed, it's felt. In fact, the way we're gonna close down our um, sermon and, and lead into the last part of our service today is really gonna be, uh, we're gonna take communion together. And the reason we're gonna take communion together is maybe just a little tangible reminder of what Christ has done for you. A way that we can abide again in Christ's love for us. So that when we walk out of here today, we walk out of here seeking ways to love one another out of the love of Christ for us. So I wanna ask you, both of our campuses, would you bow your head and would you take a moment and consider God's love for you? Let me just, let me pray over you. And then our teams will come and lead us in taking communion together. God, thank you for your love for us. May the gospel not just be a, a simple truth, a, a check off of the spiritual to-do list. Yes, we believe and, and move on. God, I pray that you would ignite fresh faith in us. A faith that, that dives deeper into the joy of the love of Christ. A faith that makes its home in Christ. That puts Jesus first. We need you for that, Father. I pray for courage for my brothers and sisters here. As I'm praying for you, I want you to think, what's the step God's calling me to take? Maybe it's to believe. You've never believed before. And you're hearing today that the reason Christ got on the cross is because you were separated from God. You cannot be reconciled to God apart from the blood of Christ. And today you're hearing it. And you say, okay, God, I've been trying to make my own way, trying to find peace, security, contentment on my own. I'm done running. Today, God, I'm in. I believe. But maybe the courage you need, Christian, when I say, how can you love another? Who is it in your life that you need to show love towards, grace towards? Maybe a, a name and a situation pops up really quick. God, give me courage and strength. God, help me. I desire joy. Help me to put Christ first, others second, and myself last. Help me to decrease and you to increase. Thank you for the elements we're about to take, Father. The reminder that this whole thing is a story of love, your great love for us. We love you. We praise you in Christ's holy name.